I'm visiting all 30 stadiums in one season to uncover the hidden stories that make baseball America's pastime. Rounding third with Manish Jane. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jane. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm not really focusing on a specific stadium, but we do touch on the Mets and City Field and Shea a little bit. But really what I want to do is introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Jay Goldberg and his absolutely amazing store, the Regino Baseball Clubhouse, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Now I'm going to go ahead and assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you consider yourself to be the baseball guy or the baseball girl of your respective group. On trivia night, when the question comes up, who threw out George Brett for the infamous pine tar incident, everybody turns to you, and you can say, Tim McClelland. But what's awesome about the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse is that all the baseball guys and all the baseball girls of the respective groups from around the country, they all come together in this one clubhouse on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and it's the greatest experience in the world. I'm going to touch on it a little bit in my chat with Jay coming up, but Basically, the first time I went to this clubhouse, I felt like the dumbest man on the planet, and I was smiling ear to ear. I could not believe how intelligent and knowledgeable and, most importantly, friendly everybody was at this clubhouse. Nobody's looking down at you. Nobody thinks that you, you know, believe me, I was the only one in that place that thought I was dumb. I was just, I was a bit intimidated. But everyone else could not have been more welcoming, could not have been more just gracious in, in bringing you in. And talking baseball with you. If you even have a marginal interest in the game of baseball, you need to go and check out the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse. But that's enough of my plug in this thing. You get to hear from Jay in a couple of minutes here, and you can decide for yourself. Although I am going to say one more time, if you ever find yourself in the tri-state area, you absolutely need to head down to, you know what, let me look up the address right now. I believe it is on uh, 67 East 11th Street. Uh, down there in the Lower East Side, but it's, you know what, you'll hear more from Jay in, in, in a moment here. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Jay Goldberg, the owner of the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse, the man who's introduced me to several people that I've considered friends now and several authors that uh, hopefully you'll be able to hear moving forward on this very podcast, um, including uh, Matt Silverman, actually. Matt Silverman, former guest on the City Field episode, the first episode of this show. I have to give Jay a big thanks for introducing me to him. So I don't know. Without Jay, this podcast probably would not be uh, happening. So Jay, for listening, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And for the rest of you, I really hope you enjoy my chat with Jay Goldberg, owner of the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse. Joining me today is Jay Goldberg, founder and owner of Brigino Baseball Clubhouse, located uh, at 67 East 11th Street in Lower East Side of Manhattan. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jay. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about how much I absolutely adore this clubhouse and uh, kind of the friends that I've made here. But uh, for the time being, let's just go back all the way to the beginning and tell me what exactly brought you to baseball in the first place. As a, as a child as or a as child. a professional? Oh, as, as a, a child. Okay. As a child, I saw my first game at the age of three, although I don't remember any of it, but I was three years old when my dad took me to my first game. Uh, 
Apparently, all I did was crawl underneath seats the whole time looking for bottle caps <laughs> uh, featuring ball players. I used to have ball players uh, in like the Coke bottle bottle caps. You'd push out the cork underneath, and there'd be a picture of a player. And Whitey Ford was pitching, so I guess my dad thought I should go see Whitey Ford for my first game, but I don't remember any of this. <laughs> I do, though, remember at the age of four, my next year, uh, 1964, the first year Shea Stadium opened, that was the first game I remember. Uh, although I don't remember the game, but sure. I do remember being there and uh, loving the environment and the little Mr. Met doll that my dad bought me as a gift, uh, which I took home and cherished for a long time. I wish I still had it. Uh, but that's, I think, what got me into baseball, that and my dad's love for the game, so I grew up with it. Uh, and then I started playing as a very young little guy and. It was always part of me, basically. So was your dad a fan of the Yankees growing up? or what? No, was no. My dad was not a Yankees fan. My dad grew up on the Lower East Side, which uh, I guess there were some Yankee fans in there. But my dad was really a little bit more of a Giants fan, although my dad just loved baseball. My dad could go see, you know, at that time it was the Giants, Yankees, and Dodgers in New York. Right. So he would go see, let's say, the, the Giants and Dodgers play either at the Polo Grounds or Ebbets Field. And then he would also go see the Yankees play if they were home that day. So he, he didn't care. He would just go to see any games that he could. Uh, but he was never, he certainly was not a, uh, a Yankee lover or anything like that. Uh, oh. So then when the Mets came along, I was, I was uh, a baby. And that's how he got to become a Mets fan at that point and, and brought me along with him. So that, that, that's how I grew up as a Mets fan. So you got your father to blame for that. Pretty that's much, nice. yeah. That's, that's <laughs> unfortunate. Exactly. You know, I've always, that's, that's, I, I grew up in Michigan, and so obviously there was no other choice. It was kind of Tigers and, and nothing else. But I have so many friends of mine who grew up in Chicago, and, yeah, just those poor unfortunate souls who grow up with their parents being Cubs fans, you just you just want to give them a big hug at this point and say, <laughs> why? That's yeah, it's. I mean, in some ways, though, I've, I, I'm thankful. Uh, you know, I probably, are you really though? Come yeah, on. because I, you know, I, the way I view it is the Yankees. Uh, I mean, it, it, I don't want to uh, paint with broad brush, brush strokes <laughs> of all Yankee fans, but a lot of Yankee fans. This is what I found, uh, especially since owning the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. A lot of Yankee fans like the Yankees. Mm -hmm. They don't really love baseball. Med fans, true Med fans, lo love the Mets and they love baseball. You know, I, I happen to be a Mets fan, but I would say above that I'm a baseball fan. And I think if you're a Yankee fan, I have certainly not met a lot of Yankee fans who, who are like that. I've met Mets fans, Tiger fans, Red Sox fans, Cubs fans, doesn't really matter. Uh, so I'm kind of thankful that I became that because I think it really gave me much more of a love for baseball itself. I could watch any baseball game. I could watch a Little League game and love it. Maybe as a Mets fan, I'd rather watch a Little League <laughs> game. Uh, but it, it doesn't really matter to me. And, you know, if the Yankees get knocked out of the playoffs or do, if they don't make the playoffs, well, that's like a complete catastrophe. But if they, if they make the playoffs and lose in the first round, a lot of their fans will just turn off and they don't even watch the World Series. Oh, to yeah. Me, you know, to me, obviously, the Mets haven't been in the World Series in a while. I just love watching... Any game, the playoffs, the World Series, it doesn't matter. It's, it, it, it's fantastic to me. Well, so. I mean, forget about getting knocked out. Last, uh, for 2012, during the, the ALCS, uh, where my wonderful Tigers swept them out of the, out of the uh, playoffs, 
I was absolutely flabbergasted how many empty seats were at Yankee Stadium, you know, for games three and four there. It was just, it didn't make any sense to me. It's kind of like what happened with the Braves in the 90s, where they kept on winning the division every year, but the fans just would not come out, and that really broke my heart. And and I think also with your Yankee-Met uh, correlation there, that, that same thing happens in Chicago with the Cubs and the White Sox, where the true quote-unquote baseball fans fancy themselves as White Sox fans, and they actually do truly love the game more than just, look, I love going to Wrigley, and Wrigley's a great, fun experience, but let's face it, it's not... That's not real hardcore baseball fans that are going to, to Wrigley. You got a lot of socialites that are, that are wanting to be seen there and wanting to have a good time right. there. But at uh, U.S. Cellular or Old Comiskey, when I used to go, uh, when I was a kid, you would go and you get to actually talk to old timers, keeping score and focusing on the game on the field as opposed to the bartender, you know, bringing you drinks. Yeah, I no, I agree. I think, unfortunately, which I guess we can get into later if you want, I think a lot of that has changed in Major League Baseball uh, for, uh, for the worst. Really? throughout the game because of uh, ticket prices. Well, you know, we don't have to do that later. I'd love to, to touch on that right now. So, I mean, do you think, because they keep, every year, Major League Baseball likes to tout how their attendance figures are up. And, you know, last year, I think it was the fifth highest attendance in the history of the league. And, you know, they're building these new $500 million stadiums or, or just reno renovations, I think I just heard. Uh, Wrigley's having a $500 million renovation. You know, I know, I know. Baseball and their PR machine, Major League Baseball, they, they like to uh, spout this information. I, personally, I don't buy it. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen a game in the last couple of years on, on television mm -hmm. where you turn it on and there's empty seats right behind home, right behind the catcher. I yeah. mean, those are the the best seats in the ballpark. I understand they're mm -hmm. the most expensive, but those seats always were taken at every ballpark. Now. They're never taken. I mean, uh, th most of them are empty. So maybe some of the upper deck is taken. It's, it's kind of like a reverse situation where people are paying to sit in the upper deck because they can't afford it. So I, I know they claim they're breaking all these attendance records. All I know is a lot of people tell me they can't afford to go to a major league game. And I this is just my own opinion. I think major league baseball is flirting with disaster and they could easily be uh, one generation away from uh, repeating the Roman Empire, where they, they blow up the whole thing. Wow, you really think it's going that badly? I do, and I know, I know the PR machine doesn't say as much, but can it can a how many games can it? When I was a kid, it could be a Tuesday night, or when I was even let's say in college, I went to NYU. So uh, what do you want to do tonight? It's a Tuesday night. We have nothing to do during the summer. Oh, let's go to the Met game. It, it was. It had nothing to do with money. Like even as a college student, now we'll go to the Met game, we'll get a ticket. It, it, it meant nothing. Now, you basically, how many games can a, a, a parent take their child to during a year? The average person. And so, so my feeling is, the reason I love the game, and I'm guessing the reason you love the game, is you went to games yes. when you were a child. You can't love it the same way as if you just watch it on television. It's not like the movies where you're going to go to the movie theater and you don't need to be on the set. Baseball, or pro sports in general, you, you want to be at the game to really have it embedded within you. My, my fondest, none of my great memories about baseball are sitting there watching it on television. They're all about when I was at a game. Yeah. Even if the, the, a team lost or something happened, it didn't, it didn't make a difference. It's embedded in me if you ask me about, oh, that memory, that memory. All those memories far exceed watching something on television. And I think if, if this continues, 
why would a 10-year-old today become a huge fan if he maybe gets to go to one game a year and maybe he doesn't even get to go to a one game a year? Uh, so that's the reason I'm saying that I think baseball is, is really flirting with disaster. Uh, you know, you're, you're, unfortunately, you're absolutely right. I never really, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I used to always say that I was born in the wrong era and I was born in the wrong decade because of almost what you just said there that I, I fantasized about days of playing hooky from school and for a quarter going to a ball game, but I couldn't do that even when I was a kid growing up in the late 80s, early 90s. That was something that I couldn't really, you know, afford to do because, yeah, ticket prices were still $10, $15, which is a lot to a kid. Right. You know, and, and yeah, now when you look, uh, I was just down at spring training, and that was actually really fascinating to me. It was even spring training tickets now are $30, $40 for one ticket, which is I mean, look, I, I, there, there, you got a lot of people that are traveling and that build that into their budget, which is great, but spring training kind of should be a place where you should really be able to buy $5 tickets and be able to sit wherever, <laughs> wherever you want. Oh, th that's the whole point of it. And I think attendance at spring training, I don't know how they want to spin it. I'm sure they're going to spin it their own way, but attendance was, was very poor this year at a lot of spring training games. And I think it's exactly what you said. It's a reflection of ticket prices. I think there were some games I, th I read where $65 for a spring training game. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, <laughs> that's criminal almost. I mean, to, to pay $65 to watch minor leaguers play in a spring training game, it, it's, it's absurd. So I think, I mean, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think, but not just baseball, all, all professional sports are, are kind of in this boat. Well, that was, I mean, that was the one thing that I always... With football, football was the first one, to me at least, that really started just jacking up the price like crazy, where it just, you were looking at spending four or $500 for a family of four to go park, buy tickets, buy food, whatever. It was just getting absolutely ludicrous. There's, you can still, I mean, <laughs> you gotta really buy a day game against a non-rivalry team, versus, you know, in the, in, in, you gotta really be specific. Yeah, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a, you know, Albert Einstein Jr. and you can <laughs> figure out these charts that they have. I, you know, I think I looked at the Mets uh, ticket prices. I think they had like 38 different ticket prices yeah. with diagrams and it was impossible to figure out. Uh, and, but I think also what happened, which I, I, I think is part of this, is you have, I'm not saying there aren't very wealthy people who also are fanatics about baseball. There are, but I think what happens a lot is a lot of the real fans are not in the ballpark most of the time just because they can't afford it. So now you either have empty seats in these great seats and the, the, the vibe in the ballpark is completely different. Like you said, you're watching a Yankee playoff game and you're seeing empty seats. There, there are stories where when, when Mark Messier with the New York Rangers was trying to get Wayne Gretzky to come out back and go for one more shot at another cup mm -hmm. to come to the Rangers, he took him to a Yankee playoff game because yeah. he knew the atmosphere th there was so insane. He knew that would get under Gretzky's skin and Gretzky <laughs> wouldn't be able to say like, I don't want to do this. He knew that he would say like, I need to go for it one more time in New York City, you know, and try to win it in New York. And I remember going to Shea Stadium. The place was insane. Literally, the, 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 the stadium was shaking, literally. Uh, the the uh, upper deck would shake when the fans would go nuts. Sure. Now you go to a ballpark. It's, uh, I mean, nothing against opera or anything, but it, it, it it's a whole different. It's, you may as well just be at an opera. I mean, it, it's a completely different vibe. There's no intim. You walk into Yankee Stadium now, 
there's no intimidation to a visiting team. What do you think some of that has to do with the fact that they pretty much tore down the real Yankee Stadium? And that you might call this one Yankee Stadium now, but let's face it, well, even going back to the 70s, really, the, for the last 30 years, it hasn't really been Yankee Stadium. But still, at least it was in the same geographical location. It was still exactly, the park was still the same. Now it's just completely, even though it's just across the street, do you think that has anything to do with it? Where you know, the, the history in, maybe not the, the, the stands, but the history in the walls and in the, you know, I was at Yankee Stadium a couple of weeks ago and going, being in the locker room and seeing all the, they have video monitors now, they've got computer monitors in the locker room, you know, every right. single player's got their own little monitor there, but, you know, their own headphones and their own, whatever it is, they've got their own little units there. And I try to think back of, of days of DiMaggio or Gehrig or, or Ruth, God forbid, <laughs> sitting in front of his locker with headphones on watching some cartoon or watching TV or whatever he's doing. And do you think that has something to do with it when you go into a, a, a visitor's locker room and you don't feel that 100-year history that baseball is the only sport that has in this country? I think to some degree that, that could play into it, but I don't think that's the overriding factor. I think it's more of the, vi the, the, the fans – Mainly in New York, I can't really speak about fans all over the country in each ballpark. You're, you're going to have a much better feel than I will about that. <laughs> but in New York, it was intimidating uh, at Yankee Stadium to the visitors, whether a, a guy would admit it or not. And I'm sure, sure many ballplayers would admit it, if not publicly, in private discussions. I, I, I know they were intimidated. Shea Stadium could be intimidating at times to when the Mets were good to uh, a visitor. Now it's it's completely different, and I think it's – it's, to me, it's mainly driven by the, the, the price of the seat, which then determines who sits in that seat, who yeah. doesn't sit in that seat. I agree that part of it is a little bit about Yankee Stadium with the history, although the Yankees, when they moved to the new ballpark, they did very well to, to, to start. Yeah, that first know. year. Yeah, so the, I, I don't think it's completely about that. I think it's a little more driven about, about uh, the economics. That's just my opinion. No, that's fair. No, and a lot of people actually share that opinion, and, and that's something that I've been, you know, as I'm embarking on this 30-stadium tour, that's something that I did a lot of research on as far as ticket prices at these different stadiums and how how exactly they're broken down. I think the Angels may have been, and I, I may be wrong on that, but I believe the Angels were are the first team that are starting this dynamic ticket pricing type thing where throughout the season the ticket prices will be different. So it's not just the 38 different ticket prices for one game. Pretty much every game is going to have a different ticket price depending on the time of year, the, the opponent, the time of game, et cetera, et cetera. And that, like you said, you got to be an Einstein. It's, it's maddening to try to figure out, okay, well, if I want to go to the game on Thursday, it's going to save me $40 than going on Friday, but then it shouldn't be about that. Right, it exactly. Just be, look, I wanna, if I want to buy a $5 bleacher ticket the day of, there's 162 games. There's 81 of them in your home ballpark. I know Boston recently, quote unquote, ended their sellout streak. I never fully bought into that one, to be honest with you. There's, right. there's a lot of uh, games at Fenway that I saw that clearly weren't sold out, but more power to them. Yes, they sold out however many hundreds of games in a row. There's absolutely no way that that I know they, they give college students every once in a while, you know, a discount or, or families a discount. But there should always be at least a section a, and a good section, mind you, not, you know, upper nosebleeds, a good section where you can sell five, ten, fifteen dollar tickets day of. So that once again, yeah, kids can go or whoever can just show up and, and go to a game. Absolutely. I, I, I never understood. And by the way, that can't be I know how do you regulate this? That can't be bought up by scalpers either. 
because that's the other one the, with with StubHub and with you know all the different online things that baseball has embraced at this point. Sports in general have embraced places like StubHub. That makes it oh good lord! I mean the ticket prices just go absolutely through the roof on those sites. If there's enough demand, otherwise the ticket prices are, are extremely uh, reasonable and much lower than they would be at the at the ticket window on StubHub. Sure. You know, so it just depends on on the on the demand at that point. Sure. Uh, but it's no, you make you make good points. You make good points. But let's go back to a more positive time. So <laughs> <laughs> let's go back in history. Exactly. History. Let's go back and, and and talk about you going to uh, to games at Chase Stadium with your father. Is that something that was kind of special between you and your dad, or was that something that? Um, so do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. She she didn't really go to games as much. So there was this know. something that was really special between uh, you and your father. Yeah. To me, baseball was all. Uh, it, Everything is memories with my dad. That that's what it's about for me, uh, you know. So I, I still get very emotional, even if it even it has nothing to do with something that I saw with my dad. It could be my dad loved baseball so much he would tell me about things, which is my appreciation for baseball history, which has a lot to do with uh, the, the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse. But it could be, for example, we're having this uh, night honoring Hank Greenberg. I never saw Hank Greenberg play. Right. Obviously, I was born in 1960. But from stories from my dad, I feel like I did see him play. Or I, I had this great interest in him. So pretty much everything that has to do with baseball uh, is emotional to me. And, and it's the relationship between you know, a, a father and a son. And uh, I think it's that way, more so for baseball than any other sport, but I think it's, it's that way for a lot of people, between a parent and a child. And I, I think that's, uh, for a lot of the love of it, 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 it has to do with that. No, absolutely. You're, I mean, baseball was, the baseball stadium was the only place when I was a kid that I was allowed to swear. And that was only when <laughs> I was with my father. I, I remember, you know, I, I can't remember the exact play at this point, but something had happened at the Tigers game. And... A, a, a bad word, a naughty word slipped out of my mouth, and I immediately caught myself and kind of looked up at my dad, and he just kind of said, you're at the ballpark, it's okay, <laughs> never in front of your mother, not, never in front of your sister, but at the ballpark, it's fine, don't worry about it, which, you know, that, it gave me so much joy, and sure. I just, and it, it opened me up, and I was able to, I think that was the only place that I was actually able to be myself in front of my dad when I was a little kid. You know, we would leave the ballpark, and I'd go right back into making sure that I was trying to get away with things or whatever. But at the ballpark, it was we were buddies. You know, it was it was phenomenal. The, the relationship, the dynamic changed so dramatically just as soon as you walked into those gates. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's something magical about that with with baseball, and I, to me, I, I, I cherish those memories, and I wish that every child of somebody who loves baseball would be able to have those same memories. I just hope today's kids can, can have those memories. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with, you know, now I, I do have you talking about how it's, it's not as, uh, your memories don't come from watching it on TV. And I was thinking about that, you know, I've got the, the MLB app now, you know, or so I've got the, the games on my phone, on my, on my iPad, on my computer, on my TV. I've got them everywhere. And so I'm, the, the amount of access I have to games now is crazy. I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you, but when I was a kid, obviously, I had to wait for the box scores in the newspaper. You know, that's the way that I, I remember when the Tigers were on a West Coast trip. I'd have to wait, you know, 48 hours sometimes to figure out how they did. And, and I think that trying to seek out that information and, and sitting on that anticipation for so long is what 
baseball was always on my mind. You know, it was one of those things that I needed to know what was going to happen next. But now, you know, I just quickly check my phone. Oh, all right, Tigers lost. Oh, or Tigers won. All right, great. Moving on. Right. And, and you don't really get to savor that, that anticipation that builds, which I think is baseball. And baseball in and of itself is an anticipatory game. You know, unlike football or, or basketball even, where there's that instant gratification of every play really matters. In baseball, it's all about building up to the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning and, and, and trying to make that, that big inning happen, but it's all about the wait. And you're right, that is very difficult to get unless you're actually sitting in the park and smelling the smells and, and hearing the, the sound, watching the left, ba- the, the left fielder kind of maybe drift off for a second because he's not because the last five plays have had nothing to do with him and then seeing him snap back into position. It's, it is. It's a chess match that you don't really appreciate at all on television. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can, in some ways, you see the game better on television now just because of, I mean, sure. the camera work is, well, is amazing. I mean, you see a guy's, uh, the sweat within his sweat but on that's television. that's what highlights are for, though. That's what, you can yeah. watch the highlights for that. To actually see a play develop, I mean, it's, I mean, talking about, about bad seats, you sit, for most ballparks, if you sit behind home plate, upper deck, those, to me, are the best seats in the house. I mean, when you get just that beautiful view of all nine guys in the field, right. that, to me, is you might, yeah, you might not get the, the pores that you can see right. on, on HD television, but seeing a play develop, there it is. Absolutely. And then you're also seeing, like you said, you're seeing the field, you're seeing the green, you're, you're seeing this, you have a memory of, this, it was a blue sky, it was a, there were stars out that night. You, you, the, the, the smells of the ballpark oh are, God, stay yeah. with you. The, the, the nice sounds, not the, the now the little too much of the pounding music. It would be nice to kind of <laughs> just let, you don't really need that, you know. I, I, I wish they could get rid of that, too. I don't want to sound like a complete old man. But no, no, but I, you uh, know, I think that actually has to do with the fan base as well, with what you're talking about, is that a lot of fans don't quite know when to cheer or what to cheer or how to cheer, and so they kind of have to use this, the, the, the gimmicks to let them know, hey, this is when you're supposed to, that everybody clap your hands thing is just. Oh, I, it, it, that drives me nuts. As a matter of fact, <laughs> it used know? to be New Yorkers used to take pride. This is how it's changed. This probably says it better than what I was trying to say earlier about money and things like that. I remember when I was younger, when they would put up, you'd go to like other ballparks, Philadelphia, or whatever city it may be, they'd be putting up, make noise, you know, make noise, clap your hands, cheer, and then the fans would cheer. In New York, if they would put up something like make noise, clap your hands, on purpose, the fans <laughs> would, would not make noise. Good for them. Because they knew, like, that's, they would make noise when it was time to make noise. They, right. they knew the game. And, and for probably a lot of cities, too. But now it's completely different. The park, you know, I was at a Met game last year. The park was dead. And then they put this thing up, make noise, which they're blasting noise themselves over the speaker. So it sounds like fans are making noise mm-hmm. anyway. And they have like these meters going up to try to get above eight, nine, you know, get it to the top of the meter. I, that, that, to me, that's nothing about baseball. To me, it's, it's actually the silence is the beauty of it. And then you, you hear the ball hit the bat oh. and, you, and you hear the, the, the vendor yelling out hot dogs and, you know, whatever. Th- those should be the sounds of the game. The natural ambiance. No, believe me, that is, that's, you know, as baseball builds, like I said earlier, just, just the, the dull roar going into the crazy. I, I remember uh, in 2006, uh, for the Tigers, uh, Tigers A's, 
Maglia is hitting the walk-off home run to send us to the World Series. And I remember it was just, there was eerie silence, actually. Before that, that pit, everyone right. was, was ready to explode, but nobody wanted to move or do anything. And I remember looking over to my buddy, who I was with at the time, and I looked, and we had a little bet that, that for that at bat. He actually said, I bet you $20, Mags hits a home run, right? Before he even said the word here, you just hear crack. I actually heard the noise, crack. A half a second delay, and the entire stadium lost their mind. But it was, I was able to talk to my buddy, you know, a second before that and hear him very clearly because it was eerily quiet. And that is, that, that explosion out of the quietness, that's baseball right there. Absolutely. And it's a, that, that memory is something you'll have for the rest of your life. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So it would be nice if everybody had that type of a memory. You and know? that's, you know, that's one of the things that I'm hoping to do as I do this tour and as I, as I visit each stadium and try to contact and, and have as much contact with as many fans as I can is try and figure out what it is about each specific stadium that maybe, like you said, right there, that's a brilliant story about an old Yankee stadium when they will just sit on their hands. You're not going to tell us what to do. That's brilliant. And that is that is quintessentially Yankee right there. That is, I can't imagine any other team having the, the, the balls to do that. <laughs> just <laughs> the arrogance to say, yeah, no, we're going to sit here. We know what we're doing. Right. And, and obviously for some teams, they haven't yet been able to develop their personality. I'm curious to check out Marlins Park to see how that's going to hold up. This is a unique season to, to see how their fan base, if there really is any left, to see, <laughs> to see how they're doing. But, um, but I want to quickly transition into, so you worked in baseball, or at least you worked around uh, with some baseball players for about 10, 15 years. How did you get into that, and why, before Bergino, how did you decide to do that? Well, when I, uh, actually, I, before that, I worked in politics. I worked for a, po a political consultant. We ran campaigns all over, the, all over the country, all over the world, actually. But I really wanted to work in sports, in baseball in particular, and I was just trying to get a job doing anything with a baseball team and I could not get in. And then eventually I got a job with a sports agent doing the, my background in politics was really marketing. We, we ran campaigns, so mm -hmm. it was very marketing oriented. So I started to work for this uh, sports agent firm doing the marketing for their clients. And uh, so I worked as a sports agent between that and working for myself as an agent for 15 years. And uh, Really, by the end of it, I did not enjoy it at all. It, it, uh, the whole uh, landscape had changed, and I, there was not much enjoyment there. So I kind of just gave it up, and then I had this idea to start making these funky baseballs, and that's where we first started to make Bergino baseballs. That was in the spring of 2001. Um, and then I pretty much just did that wholesale and custom for about six, seven years, and eventually started a, a website for e-commerce, and then that led into the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse in the summer of 2010. But I was a sports agent from 86 to 2001. So it changed a lot. That, that I don't even want to call it a business because it's not really a business. It's a little more uh, uh, insane than that. Uh, but that changed a lot even from 86 to 2001. I can't even imagine the, the change from 2001 to 2013. I mean, what, what, I mean, is it just the, the money just started getting out of control or, yeah. or the egos or, or, or? Well, the egos are always there because, Kay. you know, anybody who's at the top of what they do, you're going to have egos, and that's sure. okay. That's, that's, that's understandable. That's, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the money, let's say in 1986, somebody who 
for example, I did the marketing for Mike Schmidt. And so Mike was, I believe, the highest paid player in Major League Baseball at that time. He was pay being paid somewhere about two million, uh, about two and a half million a season, which obviously was a very nice salary in 1986, but it wasn't where he's, you could not relate to somebody like that at, at all. It was like, all right, there's one of the greatest players of all time. He's the MVP. He makes the most money. That seems okay. Now when a guy makes $25 million a year and it's a $250 million contract or whatever it is, the fan can't relate to that person at all. They can't relate to the fan. So uh, because of that, a lot of it had changed. So even by 2001, by the time I got out of the business, a lot of it had changed where the, w when you said egos, even guys who were the last guy on the team or, or a minor leaguer, they already a lot of them already had sure. an ego way beyond what they should have had. Absolutely. So it started to change a lot, and then everything just became driven by money. Now, I, you know, I'm not in some dream world. I understand it. Baseball's always been a business. It always will be a business. That's professional baseball. Professional sports are a business. It's sure. just the way it is. Uh, but it got to a point where it was so absurd from the, the, the business end that it took all my enjoyment away from uh, other, other parts of what I was doing. Uh, and what naturally happens when a guy has starts to make that much money, um, they start to get in a little more trouble than they would <laughs> otherwise because oh. <laughs> the, the money becomes so huge that now people are searching them out to try to take advantage of them more than they would otherwise. So, uh, you know, there are plenty of, uh, of shysters out there trying to take advantage of people, but they're going to naturally prey on people where the, the money is huge. So what happened is, for me at least, if a client would start to have an issue, a problem, be uh, drunk driving, uh, he's his wife can't find them, you know, whatever it may be, they have a problem for f five seconds. Right. And then it's your problem. Right. Well, at some point, I don't want it to be my problem. It's not my problem. It's your problem. So if I wanted to do that day in and day out, I just would have been a criminal defense attorney <laughs> or, or a psychiatrist or something. You right. Know? So uh, at some point, it was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. There's just no enjoyment to it. A everything I've always done... I've always really loved. It's always been driven by passion. I love politics. I, I, I enjoy that. Love sports. I, uh, it was all passion. Then when the passion starts to leave, it was time to go on. So that's pretty much how I left the sports agent world. You know, that's, that's eerily similar to my, my brief journey. As I used to uh, own a sports magazine in Detroit. And yeah, I had some of the very similar feelings toward uh, toward some of the athletes that I was having to deal with, and some of the personalities that I was coming across every once in a while. And it did it did kind of sour me. And I could see myself. I envisioned myself. I said, if I'm going to work, if I'm going to own this magazine for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, there's a very good chance that my love and passion for this game is going to just completely drain from my soul. And I honestly didn't want that. I I, I could not see 50 years from now me not being able to watch baseball because of some of the people that I was unfortunately associating with. Now, this is not to say that all athletes are, are oh yeah, first absolutely. of all, the majority, most of them are, are great and are amazing human beings. It's there, there are that select few though, that you're just, why do you got to ruin it for everybody? Right. 
you know, and, and, and yeah, when you're working in it uh, that closely, you really got to basically, I actually don't understand how someone can work as a sports agent for, for 30, 40, 50 years and still remain a fan of the sport that presumably they were when they were a kid, you know, that, 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 that passion for the game, I think ultimately has to dissipate, which I, I know I never want to happen. You know, my, for about a year or two after after uh, the magazine, I, it was hard for me to actually watch baseball, and I didn't for for a couple of years after the ma I couldn't watch anything, and then I slowly started coming back, and and now yeah, the passion that I have for for the game is is more than I think ever in my entire life. You know, I love my Tigers with all my heart, but like you said earlier, it's not about the Tigers anymore. It's about the game. You know, right. I will watch right. all 29 teams or all 30 teams, all 29 outside of the Tigers with slightly less passion than I do watch for the Tigers, but still, you know, I'm invested in every game that I see. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so then that leads you to uh, the Bergino baseballs, which, you know, I I'm going to have a picture of some of them on the site and people will be able to check them out because they are quite amazing, actually. I, that was the first thing that I saw. I, I just Googled you and then I saw these baseballs and I had to come see them for myself. They're really quite unique. I've, Thank you, know, you. In all my years of... of collecting baseball memorabilia or checking it out. I've, I've never seen anything quite like these. So moving on from those, though, you created this, this clubhouse that we're standing in right now. And this clubhouse is something that, for those of you who haven't gotten a chance to come down here yet, which I hope everybody that lives in the New York, New Jersey, you know, anytime you're in this area, please, you have to come down here and check it out. It really is, it really is a really unique place for baseball fans, true baseball fans to come and meet. I've met some amazing people here already, and I've only been here, coming here for a couple of weeks now. So uh, <laughs> how did this develop? How did, how did you start the store? Well, what happened was when I, uh, I, d I guess what happens is if, you, if you're a manufacturer of a product, you believe that, you know, you, you go in and you see it being displayed in the store, and you're like, ah, I, I, I could do it better than that. <laughs> so... Probably everybody who makes a, pro a designer or who makes a product probably thinks that. Of course. You know, and anyway, uh, so it was always in the back of my head, but not really anything further. But then it started to move to the front of my head, and I started to look for space to open a, the original idea was kind of just to open a little baseball shop that would feature our products. And then uh, to make a long story short, I, I, I was searching for a while, and then I found the space where the clubhouse is located, and when I found it, uh, it kind of had the feel of a gallery to me because of the high ceilings. Uh, and then I thought, okay, I can also do this to it and that to it, and then one thing led to another, and it, 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 it basically became a love letter to baseball. So it's our line of products, the, the Brigino baseballs that you mentioned. It's also a gallery uh, that's all baseball-related, obviously, and we try to bring in uh, very unique, one-of-a-kind items or vintage items. It's really about uh, one of the writers who was here in one of the events that we had. He actually really s he said it well. He, he said, he goes, okay, now I get it now that I've been here. It's, it's, it's not about, this is when Albert Pujols was still with the Cardinals. He said, all right, it's not about Albert Pujols. It's about Stan Musial. And I said, that's exactly right. So... Um, it's really, as I said, it's a love letter to baseball. So I, I really try to make it where it feels very unique. It's always changing. We do a lot of events. And as you mentioned, although you've been coming here just for a short time, we have a, a, a fantastic community. It's really become this 
great community of people who just love baseball from all walks of life. It's kind of like what, an, uh, what I was speaking about earlier, that's something that's missing from a ballpark now. Yep. It used to be in a ballpark, you could have an extremely wealthy person sitting next to somebody with virtually no money who both, they just love baseball. And w it's kind of like that in the clubhouse where people just love baseball. It doesn't matter what you do, where you came from. And we get some extremely knowledgeable fans, people who just love the game. And uh, it's always fun when we have our events because the, the Q&As with the authors, uh, the authors love it because they're not used to the, this kind of a crowd <laughs> wherever they go. You know, it's not like a Barnes & Noble where maybe somebody has heard of this guy and maybe they haven't. Here, they're going to ask questions that maybe the author doesn't even know. So, well, that's what's you know the first time that I uh, that I came to an event here. I look, I, I arrogantly I fancy myself a, a pretty knowledgeable person. I know my history. I've, I've loved baseball for as long as I, I can remember, and I can just remember sitting down and that first time I just sat in the back and I didn't say a word because <laughs> I, just, I was unbelievably intimidated at the baseball knowledge that was in this clubhouse. Guys who are eighty plus years old, guys who are twenty years old. And everyone in between, everyone just knew, everyone's a walking encyclopedia. And obviously, I started warming up and, and realizing that it's also, it's unbelievably welcoming. That's the one thing about baseball fans and the fans that I've met here at Brugino that I really uh, admire and I really love is that I've met football fans and basketball fans and hockey fans. Hockey fans maybe are a bit similar to baseball fans that there is no arrogance or, 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 machismo, I guess. Maybe that might be the right word to use here. Just kind of that male bravado that, that they need to prove themselves to you and say, well, I'm more knowledgeable than you or this. It is just such a welcoming vibe where wherever you are in your baseball journey, wherever I am, let's all talk together. We're all figured out together. And it is such a, to see an 80-year-old man talk to a 10-year-old kid about baseball is something that I don't really see in any other facet of life, whether it be religion or politics or business or, or anything. I see a 10-year-old kid talking to an 80-year-old man about baseball, and that 10-year-old kid is riveted. I'm mean, hanging off every word that that 80-year-old man has to say. And I don't know, it, that gives me chills. Every time I see it, that, just, that to me, in a nutshell, is what baseball is. It connects generations better than I think anything else that's, that's been created. Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you, and thank you. I think we that's something that we do try to have happen in here, and it just happens naturally by the setting. I, I think uh, when people walk in, they feel that they can, they, they, they become relaxed, and it, it kind of it takes them back either to a time they remember or to a time that they wish they, they had lived. You know, sometimes in childhood, it, it, when, when, it, when memories take you back to childhood, Sometimes it's, it's these great memories that you have, or other times it's like, yeah, you never really had that memory, but you kind of wish that was your memory. And Absolutely. We, we, we all, that's kind of what happens in here, is it takes you back to, a, to another time and another place. Well, and as you said about the watching a ball game on television versus going live, I, as I was first introduced to this place on your website that I saw the, the images and I saw the, uh, excuse me, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, and so I, I was introduced on, on the website, and I saw the images that you posted online and all that. But when I actually walked in, even the way that the, the place is set up with the lockers and with the, the, uh, the pitching machine, and you've got just 
It is. You feel there's an energy almost to the store. And you've only been open for how many years? Three? Uh, this summer will be three years. So three years. So it's not like this has been around for 50 years, but it feels like it does just because of the artwork and the way that it's set up. And once again, you know, I think we're all baseball fans, especially those who are listening. So I don't need to, I'm preaching to the choir at this point, but that is something that is incredibly unique to baseball, at least when it comes to American sports. Baseball, to me, is the only sport that really has that. Oh, I, I, I agree. Sometimes <laughs> people will come in and they'll say, oh, why don't you open a place like this for football? Or, you know, and I said, I don't want to do that. You know, it's not, it's, it's not my interest and it's not my passion. You know, I mean, and, and honestly, I couldn't imagine if I walked into a football, a store like this that was football, I just think that the, I, I, there's no other way to put it. I think the energies would just be completely different that football or hockey or basketball isn't really set up for the, the sport in and of itself really isn't set up to have this type of reverence that's attached to it. And I think it is because of the kind of the generational uh, uh, coming together that, that baseball brings. But I wanted to wrap up with kind of hearing some, some of your personal anecdotes and stories about some of your favorite experiences at ballparks. I mean, whether it's Shea, whether it's City Field, Yankee Stadium, just one of the times where when you went to the, sp to the ballpark as a child, as an adult, whenever you were, that you really said, this, this is life. This is, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to this sport because what, what else is better than this? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is not necessarily one moment. It's, it's every moment. It's every time I go into a ballpark, no matter where I am, it, obviously I'm a Mets fan, so I, uh, I enjoy going to see the Mets play, but it doesn't matter. I could be in any ballpark anywhere, and it doesn't really matter what else is going on. I just love being in a ballpark. Once I sit down and kind of just look around and, and, or walk around, and, and it just gives me a, a, a great feeling. I don't really have that feeling of of that comfort really in most other, uh, virtually in no other place other than my own home. So it almost feels like it's a, it's a second home to me. Uh, I guess in the clubhouse too, I, I feel that. But uh, so I always feel that in the ballpark. It's a, I, I don't necessarily, I would not say I feel that if I go to another professional sporting event of a different, uh, different sport, but with baseball, I will always feel that. A minor league game, major league game, it, it, go to sit in a park and watch Little Leaguers play. I just feel that. I don't, I, I don't know. It's a strange thing about baseball that way. Uh, I mean, I, I have some amazing memories. Uh, I, I mean, one of the, uh, they, they most of my memories, my great memories go back to Shea Stadium, which is why I think I miss it. Uh, versus, and I'm not a huge fan of City Field. But I think everything good and everything bad kind of happened in Shea Stadium uh, for the Mets for the most part. But certainly everything good. You know, uh, it could be a memory for me. It could be when they won in uh, Game 7 in 1986. I remember that vividly, obviously. I remember a woman two sections over from where I was sitting. I was by myself. I got a ticket. I was able to get one ticket for Game 7. I was by myself. A woman two sections over takes her top off and the fans are going insane <laughs> you know and I, I have that memory but I also I remember I think it was 1988 when the Mets were playing the Dodgers yeah. in the playoffs and it was raining that day I had a really good seat that day I, again I was by myself I was at, in a field box and it was raining and so people ran to the game was stopped 
And so people ran to the uh, undercover area uh, at Shea on the lower level. And I just remember I'm standing there to get out of the rain and I look over and Rachel Robinson is standing there. And uh, I, was, I, I was speechless, basically. Uh, yeah, and I just, but I decided I needed to say something. So I went over and I just introduced myself and I s told her how much of a pleasure it was to, to meet her. And it, it, I, that's as vivid as any other memory that I've had a, at a ballpark, basically. Uh, so I, I remember that. It's not just about watching your team win a game, necessarily. It's about other things. I re uh, Tom Seaver was my boyhood idol. He was pitching for his 300th win against, he was already off the Mets at that point, and he was going for, he was on the White Sox, and he was going for it in Yankee Stadium, as it turned out. So I went to the game, because I was going to go root my boyhood idol on, and he beat them, and he won his 300th game. And uh, so that's a, a, one of my great baseball memories. Well, you know, you, you bring up real quick about how it's not necessarily about the game on the field almost. It, it can be about those people that you meet or those people, those strangers that you sit next to that, you know, it, there have been several people in my life that I met for the first time at a baseball game. Or there are uh, one thing that I used to love doing when I used to live in D.C. before the Nationals moved in, I had season tickets to the Orioles, and I bought season tickets, two, two, two season tickets. It was just for me. I had no one else that was going, I, but I bought two sets of season tickets, and I basically made it a point to bring someone to the each game that had never been to a ball game before and uh, kind of sit down with them and, yeah, teach them a little bit about the game, but also explain to them how, look, this is – you, you, you want to go to a bar tonight? No, let's not go to a bar. Let's go to a game. That's, that can be just as socially gratifying as going to some singles mixer or whatever you might have trying to meet women. Go there and meet people that could actually become lifelong friends with you because it is, you know, you talk about, I mean, obviously that woman taking her top off is going <laughs> to, everyone's going to want to be friends with her, but you sit next to some, some guy or some girl that you've never met before, you start bonding over what's happening on the field, Next thing you know, 20 years later, you guys are our best friends. You know, that's something right. that exists in baseball because it allows for just friendships to, 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 to be created in the down moments. And those quiet moments that you talked about earlier, you know, when there isn't the everybody make noise, when you're just sitting there and you're and, and a pitcher's warming up, that's when you turn to the guy next to you and ask him a quick question and boom, all, all of a sudden you got a new best friend. Absolutely. And you could just be talking to him about Maybe it's not even about baseball. You yep. could be, you, you could talk about anything. It doesn't even matter at that point. You know, you're in this. The the, the setting itself it, it sets the stage for for everything. Well, that's you know one of the things. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this 30 baseball stadium tour to begin with was the 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 beauty of that dichotomy of of a ballpark sitting amongst the urban setting. So you sit and you see this this park and you see a bunch of grown men you know wearing essentially pajamas hitting a ball with a stick and then you turn around and you see office buildings with men in suits and women in suits and they're very serious and trying to increase the bottom line or whatever it is they're doing in there but in this little area all of that goes away and you just sit there and you just relax and it's kind of it's that meeting place that I feel like now I wasn't alive 200 300 years ago but I feel like that type of, of community wasn't or w w was around back then where you were able to go to the local watering hole or just go to a stream and just sit there and meet 
the people that lived in your neighborhood and the people that lived in your community, and that's where you created the bonds. And to me, the, base, the baseball stadium is the only place left where you can actually kind of still do that, where you can go and meet the people that live, you know, two towns down. But here, you're sitting together for a common goal, and you've got – there's nothing you're, – you're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to impress the girl and buy her a drink, or you're not trying to – you know, impress a client and try to sign a contract. You're all just sitting there enjoying yourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very, very well said. And hopefully Major League Baseball takes that to heart to where it ca anybody can be sitting next to you. And I just hope that uh, because I have those memories, you obviously have those memories, it would be nice if a Major League Park still could – anybody could walk in and sit next to anybody else and just enjoy enjoy the game and the, the atmosphere. And hopefully that never stops. Oh, well, uh, thank you so much for your time here. And on the site, we're going to make sure to throw up a link to uh, Brigino. And I'm telling you, everybody who's listening, the balls that he creates here are, are really unique and really special. So if you've ever got something that you want to get printed on a baseball, I'm telling you, Brigino's is the place to do it. It is Truly a sight to see. And if you're ever in the New York area, um, you need to come down here. It is, you will never find more knowledgeable, friendly, and welcoming sports fans, baseball fans specifically, than here at the Brigino Clubhouse. Once again, at 67 East 11th Street in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So there you have it. There, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jay Goldberg. And I honestly hope that if you find yourself around the New York area, that you make a trip to this clubhouse. Because, you know, I've been asked several times what I miss about essentially, you know, living on the road for, for 95 days and not having really a home base to, to call my own. And, and with all honestly, I genuinely miss going to the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse. Um, the, the, the guys and girls that I've met there and just Jay himself and – just the environment there is something that I haven't been able to capture quite yet on the road, and I miss it tremendously. So that's something that, you know, when this tour does finally wrap up, my first stop will most likely be to head back down to the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse and catch up with some old friends. So if you ever find yourself in New York, I mean, look, Times Square's been done. The Empire State Building's boring and the lines are too long. Go to the Brigino Baseball Clubhouse, spend a couple hours there, I don't know if you're ever going to want to leave. So with that, we've reached the end of another episode. Uh, so as always, I want to thank Blake White for the theme music, Icarus Ronan for the web design, and Krishna Jane for the uh, photo editing. You can always follow me at RoundingThirdMJ on Twitter. I understand that I'm not really tweeting a lot. Uh, there's just there's not many, many hours in the day. I know it seems easy, but oh boy. Uh, one of these shows, I'll probably get into exactly the hectic schedule that I'm trying to keep and doing this stadium tour but uh, for now you can always check out my travels at roundingthird.net um, those are write-ups of the stadiums themselves and also what I'm doing on my off days and travel days and how I put together the schedule and just fun little details like that um, if you have any questions for me you can always email me at roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com that's roundingthird all spelled out t-h-i-r-d roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com and uh, yeah for everything else just keep listening to the podcast so join me next time as I continue to round third, heading for home.
Rounding third with Manish Jane.